How can you achieve and maintain business growth? Harvard Business School Executive Education is now accepting applications for a new program, Driving Profitable Growth. Taking place in Boston from October 25th through the 28th, this program focuses on business expansion and organizational growth strategies that can lead your company into the future. Learn more about this three-day program for senior leaders by visiting hbs.me growth. That's hbs.me growth. You are Locked On Bucks, your daily Milwaukee Bucks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. Frank, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I, I, I wanted to keep going last night talking about draft prospects and, and we had to stop because we'd already talked for an hour about the Eastern Conference. So um, I'm, I'm recharged. I'm ready to talk, Eric. <laughs> well, that's good because uh, we have plenty to talk about. Um, I think what we'll talk about tonight is just taking a look at some of the draft prospects coming in, why they may be important, why they may be, uh, I guess, players that the Bucks are actually interested in, and uh, just kind of trying to take a closer look at all of that. Um, we'll start, I think, I think the most obvious place to start was with yesterday's workout. Um, there was two workouts, and there was a number of second-round guys and maybe borderline first-round guys that were part of the second workout. But the first workout yesterday was uh, TJ Leaf, a forward out of UCLA, and Landon Lucas. I'm not here to talk about Landon Lucas. I believe he was there to be a guy for TJ Le- for TJ Leaf to go against. Um, but I thought TJ Leaf is an interesting guy. I think Draft Express has him in the 20s right now. Um, he's at 23 to the Raptors. Um, and I think he's interesting for a number of reasons, obviously. Um, it was something I noted in my tweet yesterday. Um, but the last two years, the Bucks have selected guys that uh, are with Excel Sports. Um, and obviously, we've talked ad nauseum about the, the Jeff Schwartz, Excel Sports, Jason Kidd connection um, and kind of what that has meant. But TJ Leaf is, I believe, if I have this right, one of three guys that are projected first rounders to be Excel Sports guys. I think it's. Malik Monk, um, who will go relatively early, TJ Leaf, and then Harry Giles from Duke um, are the three that I could find yesterday. Were you able to find any more? I, I didn't really give you that as an assignment, but I believe those <laughs> are the, the three Excel sports guys I've seen thus far. No, I'm, I, I, I did not. Um, and I, I mean, it's kind of interesting. I mean, the, the Excel connection is always used sort of as, you know, part of the the conspiracy theory of Jason Kidd having too much power because, um, of course, his connection to Jeff Schwartz as being his agent back to his playing days. But um, but it is interesting. I mean, you know, look, the it, teams having close relationships with agents is kind of necessary to some extent. So, um, you, you know, I think the main thing is that it is a productive thing. Obviously, you know, um, it, it's not really in any team's interest to go get players from agents who aren't good, right? Um and certainly, I think some of the skepticism with the kid Excel thing is, you know, dates back probably to the fact that Michael Carter Williams was an Excel client and he ended up in Milwaukee and, of course, you know, didn't have uh, the greatest stay uh, in Milwaukee. But um, the roster of players on the Bucks who have actually signed in Milwaukee as free agents, you'd have a hard time finding an Excel guy who got overpaid by the Bucks. I don't know really if there is one. Chris Middleton nope. signed very quick and cheaply cheap deal that uh has worked out really well um and then they're you know they're just like a bunch of other guys who have signed you know not massive deals i mean mirza Teletovic is probably the guy with the the most outsized contract who's an excel guy but honestly i don't think you would have looked at his deal last summer and said it was above market um but a bunch of other guys you know whether it's um you know jared bayless you know guys signing for actually pretty small deals um that have been actually nice, you know, kind of bargains for the Bucks, and mm-hmm. um, certainly a guy like Bayless, you know, they just let him walk last summer. There wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like the the Excel connection uh, meant a lot. I think, and interestingly, you mentioned the last two picks, Rashad Vaughn. Probably the he's probably the other example where the Excel thing has been used as sort of like for conspiracy theory purposes. You know, Jason Kidd wanting an Excel guy, and of course Rashad Vaughn thus far not living up to. Um, his billing as a 17th overall pick, granted not a necessarily very strong draft, but certainly he's been disappointing. 
on the flip side, um, Thon Maker last summer coming in, uh, another Excel guy, uh, they got a, an early look at Thon and um, obviously a guy that a lot of people thought was a reach at 10, but um, I'm sure the conspiracy theorists are, are not touting Thon as an example of why Excel has been bad for the Bucks after uh, a very promising rookie season. So, you know, it's interesting. And, and of course, the other the other interesting piece, too, is that, um, you know, the Bucks have are, are one of the, I guess, sort of few teams that have a high ranking executive um, who is a former agent. And that's Justin Zanuck. And um, so, you know, naturally, Justin Zanuck brings a lot of connections um, you know, from, from his days as, as an agent. Um, and, um, uh, you know, I, I think that that's, that's fine, right? I mean, you yeah. need to have productive relationships with guys. And, and I think, uh, Justin's worked at both, I think he worked at ASM and then, um, I wanted to say he worked at another, I, I own, in priority sports as well, which is another big one. So, um, and so yeah, he, he's been around, he knows plenty of people. I think, I think Justin represented Serge Ibaka at one point among others. So it's just part of the game if you're if you're well connected. And the other thing I was thinking about was like yes or what was it earlier this week when I was talking about how I didn't even know that Dave Babcock used to work with John Calipari and because of that they have good relationships with any of Coach Cal's players. And as I was thinking about it, I was like, how many connections like that exist that I've never heard about? that I have no idea of. And like you said, like these, this is all relationships. It's all about using these relationships and being able to find the best ways to get the best players. Uh, uh, get your team a look at those guys. Get your team in the room, whether that's free agency, whether that's with draft prospects. No matter what it is, like that's what kind of front office type stuff is in the NBA. Like It's managing relationships, figuring out, who you you want to remain friends with and who you pissed off too much that now they don't want to talk to you like all those things matter at all times and these relationships uh, are very fluid and you do have to manage a ton of them so having a positive relationship with a, a certain agency and in Excel Sports as example an agency that represents 15 to 20 percent of the NBA that doesn't seem like the worst thing um, and, and like you said they're there are certainly examples of where it has not worked out with MCW and Vaughn, but there are examples where it has worked out with some of their more fringe free agent signings with Chris Middleton signing a, a below market deal for the Bucks and picking Thon. And I, I don't know. It, it Like I said yesterday, someone asked, oh, you, you always say you don't believe in this like conspiracy or whatever. And I was like, I don't. But it would be, I think, shoddy journalism at best not to at least note that the last two first-round picks for the Bucks have been guys represented by Excel Sports. Like, that would just be... It would be silly for me to say, to try to remain oblivious and pretend like I had no idea. Like, obviously, I knew that. So, um, again, it's just something that's worth noting. And at the same time, too, like you said, well, one with Vaughn hasn't worked out and one with Maker has worked out and if you're hitting 50% in the first round, like, are you really that mad? Like, obviously you want to hit on all of them, but at where they were drafting, how the draft works, I'm trying to think, was it, was it Seth Partnell that made all those graphs a a while back? I don't know if you can think of the ones I'm referring to, but I know for the last like three draft reviews I've been a part of at Brew Hoop, we've posted those up where it's like only this small percentage of draft picks becomes, uh, a rotation player, an all-star, whatever it is, like the the odds are stacked against you. If every player you drafted turned into an NBA player, then there won't be enough room in the NBA for all of these players. Like there have to be misses. So um, I don't know. It, it, it's something that's interesting to me um, and something worth noting. Uh, so that's that's why. I oh, think, go ahead. I, I mentioned this I think yesterday, and I don't I don't think you just listed him. Um, but Derek White, who came in, uh, senior from Colorado, interesting combo guard prospect. He is a Michael Lindemann age, uh, client, uh, Michael Lindemann being Chris Middleton's agent. So that, okay. that's one Excel random connection. But again, we pointed out just cause yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, it, it does kind of speak to the ability of the Bucks to get guys in as well. And I think that's sort of an underrated thing. I think the Bucks over the years have done very well getting guys to come in and work out. And that's a, a difficult game to play. I mean, when they had the worst record in the NBA and were picking second, I think they were the only team that, you know, got Embiid, Wiggins, 
and Parker and Exum, I think. They had meetings with all of them. I don't know if they all, yeah. I can't remember if they all came to Milwaukee. I think um, most of them uh, did at least have conversation, you know, meetings somewhere. So um, they, they've actually done very well kind of playing the politics of that. And obviously part of that is a relationship with agents. And I, and I think that's kind of funny to, it's something that we never really think about. Like just because you think, well, if a player is in that area where you're picking, like you should just get them. That's not how it is. Right, like there, there are organizations that are actively bad enough, or have ruined enough relationships with agents, or relationships with friends of agents, or relationships with college coaches. Like there are organizations that actively don't get top prospects or prospects that should be in their respective prospect grouping because they've screwed up in the past. And I, I'm trying to think of the last guy I thought I was kind of shocked, like either turned down a, a Bucks invite or didn't show up to uh, work out for the Bucks when they were kind of in that grouping. Like, it's just not something that I, I think really happens. And again, uh, like you said, it kind of speaks to how well the Bucks have managed some of those things. And whether or not they've always made the best picks doesn't really matter. Like, those relationships, as long as you're getting the guys in that you want to take a look at, that allows you to have as much information as possible to make the decisions um, that you want to make. So moving on to TJ Leaf, the prospect. I I wouldn't say that he's necessarily uh, a Bucks type pick, um, just because he's a a little... A white guy? He's a white guy. (laughs) One, one, he is white. uh, But two, uh, his wingspan is just an inch longer than his height. Um, he's 6'10", his wingspan is 6'11", uh, 20 years old, I think, at the start of the season. So he, despite being a freshman uh, this past year at UCLA, he's like an old freshman, if that makes any sense to, to anyone listening as I say that. Um, and I think there, like, there's not the athleticism that jumps off the page. There's There's not a ton about him that screams high upside and this guy is going to be a Milwaukee Bucks where um, when you, you look at some of the other guys, like we, I mean, it's a guy who's projected in the second round. When we talked about Hamadou Diallo, that's a Bucks guy. If that makes sense. Like he, he had the, the non-traditional path. He had the crazy wingspan. He has the insane athleticism that screams Bucks to me. TJ Leaf does not scream Bucks to me. Um, but I do think he he maybe because he is white um, and because he doesn't have that insane wingspan and athleticism, like I, I do think maybe he is a little bit underrated as a prospect because I think he does a lot of things well and he really did a nice job at UCLA last year. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, he's a guy that I, I did watch more season than a lot of these prospects just because UCLA was such a fun team to watch. And, um, you know, I, I didn't really know it. The first time I watched uh, UCLA and, and noticed him, I didn't know anything about his pro prospect. And I remember actually looking it up afterwards because it's kind of like, this guy's pretty good. And it, it might have been the first time I really watched him. might have been against Kentucky uh, the first time yeah. that they played. It, it was and, the same day for me. I think that was, yeah. what, like December? December or January? Yeah. It's, it's sometime midseason. And, and he had a play where he put it on the floor from the corner. And I forget who, who he was. It might have... Was it was it Bam at a bio? I don't know if it was Bam at a bio, but basically he, he basically pump fake the perimeter, kind of he was kind of in the corner, and he you know basically wriggled past the defender along the baseline, went up off his right foot, um, so his his weaker foot, and and dunked with two hands, and you know looked pretty yep. springy doing it, and <laughs> yep. um, he was he was big in that game. I think he had 17 points, 13 boards, um, and you just kind of look at the numbers, you know, none of his stats kind of really leap off the page, and it's like oh 16 and eight, you know, 2.4 assists, 1.1 blocks, but then you kind of look at the totality of the package, um, you know, he played fewer than 30 minutes. I think if you you pace adjust it, it kind of brings the stats down a little bit, um, just because usually they played at a fast pace. But um, but you know, sixty four percent field goal percentage on twos. Uh, didn't shoot a lot of threes, but hit forty seven percent of his threes. Um, maybe a little bit underwhelming from the free throw line relative to those numbers, sixty eight percent from the foul line. Um, but he just does a lot of stuff well. And you know, if you watch his Draft Express uh, strengths video which is where obviously we all want to look, you know, forget the weaknesses, right? Just point straight. <laughs> um, but it's interesting because I, I, I was actually a little surprised the draft express scouting report seemed to be higher on him from an athletic standpoint than I kind of got the feeling of whenever I've watched him. Um, I, I mean, I think he, I think I, I view him, the most important thing I'd say about him is I view him as a big man. And, and again, I don't think he's going to play, 
you know, much center because he's, you know, again, 6'10", short arm, or relatively short arms, 222 pounds. I mean, he's, he'd have to add a lot of strength and, and, you know, probably be just a really floor stretcher against maybe some, maybe he could play center in some like small ball lineups and on the bench or something like that. But, um, but I view him as a big man and kind of through that lens, um, you know, I don't think he has sort of the ball handling or anything, you know, he just doesn't look like a guy who's ever going to play small forward, um, especially in the kind of the modern NBA. So then I think when you look at him through that lens, you know, him being able to do big man stuff like, you know, stretch out to the perimeter, spot up for shots, um, be able to pump fake, put it on the on the deck drive, um, be able to do stuff, you know, in the post when when he can. Uh, and, you know, you look at some of his some of the numbers on him again, the you know, the percentages are really good. And some of his synergy numbers, you know, he's like in the 90 something percentile in post play. And I think might have been on spot ups, too, or something like that. So um, he's just a guy who plays well and I, th- I think it's one of those things that you kind of lose sight of you you get so caught up in you know the the measurements and you know is he a knockdown outside shooter can he dunk over everyone um and and you kind of just look for these like skills in isolation and then you can kind of you can kind of lose sight of sort of the connective tissue of what makes a guy actually like a pretty good basketball player like you know can he make the right pass and um, you know, can he hit a, an off balance mid range shot when he has to take it? Can you know? Does he crash the boards? Does he play? You know, does he hustle? Um, can he make some plays defensively? You know, at one point one blocks, not bad for a guy that that isn't considered you know a rim protector per se. So, um, so he's an interesting guy. I would agree. He's definitely not like a you know prototypical Bucks guy. He's not super long. He's not super young. He's not super raw. Uh, but he is an interesting prospect, and I think he is a guy that you could look at as underrated. Um, and, and he is a guy that I think, you know, especially, uh, you know, from a Bucks perspective, you think about him as like a backup four. Um, I think he's pretty interesting, you know, um, and just in terms of a high skill, high talent guy, um, maybe not super high ceiling, but, um, probably, um, higher floor than, than maybe a lot of guys that, um, that you'd find late in the first round where he's currently projected. So I think he's interesting. He's not a guy that I would say like, I I really want the Bucks to draft TJ Leaf. Um, but he, he's, you know, he, he's a good, he's a good basketball player. And I think, um, I watched some interviews with him. I mean, he seems like a super kid, super interview. He, he, mu- I must've watched him talk for three minutes, uh, answering questions about LeVar Ball and Lonzo Ball. And he was remarkably patient and, uh, well, and very well, you know, mannered and everything. So, um, I think certainly from a character standpoint, he seems to tick those boxes as well. Yeah, he was, he was actually super fun because when we had him in yesterday, uh, it was, it was me and Telly Hughes kind of hanging out and talking to him and Telly had talked to him in Chicago and Telly's like, well, TJ in Chicago, you mentioned how you thought Milwaukee would be a great fit for you, and you, you thought this might be a spot that would really make a lot of sense for you. And how do you how do you feel now that that you've actually you've actually been here? And TJ was like, "Well, you know, completely opposite. I don't want to be here, man." Uh, and then just like started laughing. And like you said, like he's kind of one of those guys that I'm sure he probably does well in interviews. He's very personable. Like like that was real personality that you don't often see in those settings uh, for a college kid getting, not interviewed for the first time, but going through the the process of going to 8 to t- 10, 12 towns, whatever it is, get interviewed by all the local media, get asked the same questions, and like he was having fun with it and seemed to just kind of be able to handle all of that. Um, so I, I would say that does speak to his personality. And um, I, I think some of the stuff that's interesting about him, uh, when we talked to Billy McKinney, he said that he thought Leaf could play um, some small ball five, which I, I thought was interesting just because I don't know if he's necessarily the type of guy you think of just because he's maybe not quite as strong as you would want a, a five man to be. But um, as the NBA gets smaller, maybe that is a spot that he can play. Um, and then Billy also said that he thought he could play all three front court positions in those small ball lineups that obviously would probably end up doing a lot of switching and uh, do a lot of things with interchangeable roles and parts. Um, so, so I thought that was interesting. He said he sees himself as a stretch four, and the big thing he said was that he can play make for himself and others and then score at three levels. And like you said, 47% from three this year, 
obviously very limited sample for him from the three-point line. Um, but when you look at his shot, it does seem to be repeatable. Like I think the mechanics are fine. He can. It would seem that he would be able to find a solid stroke and a consistent rhythm and a consistent uh, and consistent mechanics there. So I think it it could be a spot where he could score from the mid range. He could score from a little bit deeper, stretch it out to three, and he could score in the post and around the basket. So um, I think there's there's a lot to like there. I don't know if there's anything that you would love. I don't think there's anything there that you'd be like, oh my gosh, I love this guy. This is incredible. I want him on my team desperately. I don't know if if I think that at all, um, but he does just seem like a solid prospect that would seem as seem safe maybe. And I hate using the word safe because this time of year, if you say safe, that means a player has no upside and can't get better and is just going to be a mediocre NBA player. And I don't mean that in that way he does just like you said maybe have a higher floor uh than some of the other prospects and also he said that mr hammond seems like a great dude which might be one of my favorite sentences in the history of sentences just because (laughs) one calling john hammond mr hammond and then saying a great dude like 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 that just doesn't work the juxtaposition of those two things in a single sentence uh just perfect, and I I loved it. Uh, so so that'd be fun. Um, I think another interesting group uh, in that second workout yesterday, and uh, again there was some more guys in today. Not a ton of guys that I think the Bucks are really looking at as. I don't. There's not a guy in there that they think probably is a first rounder, and maybe some of them weren't even second rounders. So um, we'll stay with yesterday's second group, where I, I think there's a number of guys there that are interesting. Um, you mentioned him earlier, Derek White from Colorado. Uh, I, I think he just has an interesting, fascinating story. He was at a Division two school. I think he was a two-time Division two All-American. Uh, decided to transfer to Colorado for uh, his final season. He's 22, I think, let's see. Oh, Draft Express has him at 22.9 years old, so he'll almost be 23. Um, 6'5", six, 6'7 six, and a half wingspan. Uh, he sees himself as kind of a 1-2, uh, where he can play some point guard, he can play some shooting guard. And I don't know, I, I just think a, a guy like that is interesting because, one, you only have one season of NCAA Division One basketball to judge him on. But he was very good in that one season. 18 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists per game. Um, did a nice job shooting the three. So there's, I think there's a lot to like there. And he had a great combine, and now he's kind of pushed himself up draft boards. And I, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting. I don't know. I don't think the Bucks could reach for him at 17. And I don't think that he would last all the way down to the Bucks at 48. He seems like he'd be in the middle there somewhere. Um, so, to me, it was interesting that he was even in. Um, but he seemed like a, a, a solid prospect and a guy that might fit in that whatever position you want to call the Bucks point guard position because Giannis brings the ball up sometimes. So, so whatever that position is, he does seem like a guy that might be an interesting fit there. Yeah, White is really interesting. I mean, you, you look at his his numbers uh, in, in college, and, and there's some funkiness to them, and... As you know, Eric, I like some funkiness in my numbers. Um, you know, he's a guy that that scored at, at a pretty high rate. You know, you look at um, I, I've been just collecting for forty minutes pace adjusted stats, and you know, among the point guard prospects, you put him in that category. Um, you know, he's second behind only uh, Juwan Evans uh, in terms of points per forty-eight. Um, uh, sorry, uh, t- tied for third. Uh, so Fultz and Juwan Evans are at twenty-four point nine, and and uh, Derek White and Frank Mason are at twenty-two point five. And, you know, he passed the ball, almost six assists per 40. Uh, And I think the weirdest part about him is he blocked 1.7 shots per 40, which is just a weird, weirdly high number. No other point guard was really close to that um, in terms of of that kind of number. Shot 57% on twos, 40% on threes, 81% from the foul line. Um, Had one of the best um, true shooting marks of of any of the point guards in in this class. And, um, you know, was right there. You look at some of the advanced metrics, you know, was right there. 
um, among the best in terms of box score plus minus and PER and things like that. So his productivity isn't really to be questioned. And, you know, I, I was watching some video on him and um, he had a couple big dunks last year, kind of flashing some athleticism. He had uh, among this group, he, he tied with uh, Frank Jackson, of all people from Duke, uh, with the best no-step vertical, 35 and a half. Weirdly, only a 36 and a half max vertical. Um, so, you know, he, he has some combine athleticism and, and size at six four and a half and shoes, six seven and a half wingspan. Um, I don't know if he plays necessarily as athletically as, as those numbers indicate. You know, he's, he's not... Russell Westbrooking dudes uh, left and left and right uh, in games or anything like that, but um, but just seems to have a pretty well-rounded skill set and um, yeah, it's just an interesting player. You know, a guy you can kind of understand why he um, seems to have a chance at, at maybe slipping into the first round. And um, an interesting story. I was I was doing a little bit of reading on him, and um, it looks like he was I think under six feet when he was graduating from from high school. So he's a bit of a, a late groomer um, or late groomer, late bloomer. Um, in terms of growing. So he grew about, I guess, five inches in college. Um, and so he goes, he's from Colorado, goes to uh, Colorado, Colorado Springs uh, for college and becomes a star uh, in, in Division Two, 26, 7, and 5 in, in his last year in Division Two, and then transfers to, to Colorado where um, he obviously made an immediate impact and, you know, first team all Pac-12, um, all defensive team as well in the Pac-12. So, um, definitely a, a pretty interesting prospect, and um, you know, if it, maybe some like, statistically, you know, and, and just in terms of like being kind of like interesting combo guy, um, you know, maybe some shades of like a Malcolm Brogdon type guy, also a bit older. Um, you know, I don't, I have, I have no idea what he's like as a person. Uh, obviously, that was a big selling point with Brogdon, but in terms of being like a six-five guy who can play both backcourt spots, can shoot a bit, can can maybe have some sneaky dunks. Um, you know, he seems to be a pretty well-rounded player. And, and obviously, if you like someone, you compare them to Malcolm Brogdon, then they're immediately like, you know, oh, Malcolm Brogdon. Like, <laughs> so I, I want to be careful there, but um, but certainly an interesting guy, and um, you know, definitely a guy. If if the Bucks, if he was somehow around in the second round, yeah, I mean that would seem like very good value based on the little that I know. But um, as you said, probably going to go somewhere in between where the Bucks are right now and, and in the first round and where they, they are in the second round. So also on that list yesterday, um, there was Devin Robinson from Florida, um, who's currently at Draft Express of 50, going 51 to the Nuggets. Um, so that would be a little bit after the Bucks, but that might be uh, um, an interesting spot there for him. Um, I'm going to be totally honest and say that I haven't watched a ton on him. Um, I don't know as much as I would like to know about him, um, considering that the Bucks kind of mentioned him. I think the Bucks spent one of their interviews on him at the Combine, and I think they get, what, 20 interviews that they get uh, with different players at the Combine, um, or like individual interviews, and then uh, they obviously brought him in early in this process, and maybe he's a guy that's kind of in their range. He's uh, six foot eight. Uh, he's got the seven one wingspan or so. Eleven point six rebounds at Florida. Uh, sees himself as a three four. Um, I thought when I saw him yesterday, he might have. I don't know if he would have been quite a fluid enough athlete for me to think that he could actually play the three. Um, in the NBA uh, and might be more of a tweener at the 3-4 spot but uh, when you look at his combine numbers a 41 and a half uh, max vert and he he can get up and and soar a little bit so uh, maybe he just doesn't play quite that way um, or maybe move quite that way but um, certainly a guy that can do some of that uh, and another interesting guy that the Bucks, Bucks brought in that might be a second rounder for them. Yeah I mean he's a guy I really have no opinion of he, I can tell you he does apparently does not have a Wikipedia page, which probably doesn't bode well for him. Um, and, and it's interesting you mentioned about not not being sure he's a small forward because he weighs 190 pounds. So um, you know he he is known as a very good athlete. So if he uh, again couldn't defend the, the the three spot, then that would be uh, very problematic. But um, you know it seems like from scouting reports you read a bit about him. You know he he did look pretty good defending multiple spots against Kentucky this year in the SEC. Um, you know improved a bit as a as a three point shooter. So it seems like he projects you know at best as as a kind of spot up um, a spot up guy. Uh, you know maybe more of of that kind of combo forward. Maybe I don't know if he could develop into a small ball four with with his length. But um, you know kind of an interesting guy. But the productivity is never really 
kind of been there to, to match. You know, you, I think he was a 28th rated guy coming out of high school uh, a few years ago. So um, maybe a bit disappointing uh, relative to, uh, to you know, what people expected coming out of college or high school. And I'm looking at some similarity scores um, on the website model284.com. Um, and actually, I, I started looking at this when you were talking about TJ Leaf. Um, Devin Robinson, his his top three uh, similarity scores, which are actually extremely high for for these. Um, first one is Dijon Thompson, whose name I remember. He played at UCLA in the mid 2000s. Don't think that's a compliment. Uh, Otto Porter, which is more of a compliment. And Wesley Johnson, which is probably <laughs> not so much of a compliment. Um, interestingly, Segway, the 10th guy on that list is Wesley Iwundu. Did I pronounce that right? Because he's your guy from K-State. So he is I my guy. To, uh, I, I, Wesley Iwundu. Iwundu. Yes. Okay, give me give me your Wesley Iwundu takes, and then I'll, I'll, I'll save some TJ Leaf comps for, for the end. Uh, okay, so Iwundu, let's see. Obviously, he's kind of my guy because I was at K-State while, while he was there as well. Um, six seven small forward, um, maybe... Uh, you might want to list him. I think maybe DX has him as a shooting guard, which kind of seems a little bit crazy to me. Um, Cause I don't know. It, when he got there as a freshman, he had like a late growth spurt as everyone who ends up becoming an NBA prospect does uh, right at the end of his high school career. So he was kind of uh, unheralded as a prospect coming in, uh, but shot up to six, seven. And then his, his first couple of years was just an off ball, small forward type. And then last year at K state was playing the point um, and at six, seven, and with a seven-one wingspan, that is that is a pretty impressive thing. And I guess one that there's a bunch of stuff that that's interesting to me is one, obviously a six-seven guy being able to have that type of play, making thirteen points per game, six point three rebounds, three and a half assists per game. Uh, a guy that can ha- have that size and that type of playmaking ability helps any offense. And when you're looking to sneak playmaking into positions that maybe you're not always going to get playmaking, that's always a nice thing. Um, but with him, I think sometimes with four-year guys, they don't necessarily change a ton as prospects from their sophomore year to their senior year. Like as, as a sophomore, they've kind of figured out all the things that they do well, and then they don't make the jump to the NBA in their junior or senior year because, well, maybe they don't have an NBA body, or maybe they just don't do quite enough athletically, or, or, or there's just something that kind of makes them plateau, where they're just perfecting all of their strengths and trying to find ways to limit their weaknesses. Wonder is really interesting to me because they've seemingly continued to add large things to his game. Like he was just kind of an off ball cutter as when he was a young prospect or when he was young as a freshman and sophomore. And then as a junior is starting to add corner threes and uh, wing threes. And then senior year it was okay. We've added threes. Now we're going to add point guard responsibilities. And there just seems to be uh, an ability for him to add a a lot of different skills, um, which I don't necessarily think is always true of four-year guys. Like sometimes they just kind of, kind of plateau. So um, he's been a guy. Obviously, I've had my eye on since he was a freshman at K State. Um, but in the draft process, I know uh, starting around I don't even know like November or something, he was getting mentioned in the middle of the second round, and uh, that was kind of a, a three and D guy that I had circled early on that. I would be very intrigued uh, if the Bucks would have some interest in because, I mean, six seven seven one wingspan, uh, not the craziest vert, thirty six inch vertical, um, but all those other things, playmaking ability to hit some catch and shoot threes. There, to me, there's a lot to like, but I fully admit to wearing uh, purple shaded sunglasses. I guess in this situation, um, I, I see it very much through the lens of someone who uh, got to cover him for two years, and I, I'm hoping for the best for him. But uh, we'll see. I, I'm very interested in him. Yeah, I think the interesting number with him is is the assist numbers, and and you know having ball skills, and you know reading some scouting reports seems like you know not a lot of six seven guys necessarily getting pick and rolls run for them in at the college level. 
Um, and, and so that's probably, you know, his selling point. If he's going into a, a team interview, it's, you know, I'm six, seven, I can knock down a three, you know, to be, to be seen, I guess, if, if that's something that he can really do at a consistent level, uh, in the NBA. But, um, but he does has that stretch ability and then being able to defend multiple positions and also, um, you know, being a, a guy who, you know, as I alluded to with TJ Leaf, guy, a guy who, you know, hopefully those assist numbers imply that, that yeah, he, he just knows how to play a bit, right? And and he's got vision and he can make other guys a bit better. And, um, you know, again, if you're a role player uh, and, you know, you can do, uh, you can shoot a bit, you can defend multiple positions and you can actually make the right reads and make your teammates better when you're on the court. I mean, that that will help you stick, right? I mean, it maybe isn't enough to make you a star, but it does make you interesting. He does seem like a guy who's got obviously a, a chance to stick in this league and, and um, you know, with his tools and everything else. Um, so let me ask you a question, TJ Leaf, and you can you can tell me you can tell me that you if if you need a moment to think about it, let me know. But I I, I was trying to think of who to compare TJ Leaf to, and I was kind of struggling with it. Did, do did I anybody... do I need to follow the Daryl Morey the Daryl Morey rules of not doing a similar like? Have or, you you've heard doing his... cross racial? Do, right, yeah, do I have to do cross racial? Um, I, it's preferable. I started I, initially, I like, you know, I think it's only human to pick guys who look like the guy you're talking about. Or, you know, if you're comparing a lefty, you always pick another lefty, you know, stuff like that, which maybe isn't really that helpful. Um, but you can, you can do who you can give me whoever you, you, you know, kind of comes to mind. It can be cross racial. It can be another white dude, whatever you think makes sense. Oh man, this is really hard. Um, so he's got to flash a little bit of some of those skills. Um, give me, give me one of the Morris brothers. The very first guy that shows up in his similarity score profile on model284.com, Marcus Morris. Shut up! <laughs> Shut up! The next guy is Anthony Bennett. Yee. That's not great. Gordon Hayward. Okay. And, and Chris Bosh, which. Just sort of, I mean, I think it's interesting when guys jump across that many, you know, that many different types of players, both from the success standpoint and sort of, you know, you don't think of Gordon Hayward and Chris Bosh playing in any way similarly, but, um, but pretty interesting to see those guys named. Derek Williams, another guy who shows up a bit further down the list, um, which I think kind of makes a little bit of sense, you know, as far as like maybe having more of, you know, you wish that in his physical, with, with his physical profile that he was just a big small forward. <laughs> um, but realistically in, in the modern NBA, he's probably a power forward and, you know, maybe even a, a small ball center at times, as, as you alluded to Billy McKinney mentioning, um, you know, another guy I was trying, the first guy I thought of when I, um, when I was thinking, okay, I got to go cross racial was Thad young. He was a guy that kind of came to mind. Ooh, okay. Um, yeah, he's I a like little that. bit, he's a little bit taller than Thad young. Um, but I, I don't know. I just kind of see Thad Young as a guy who has, you know, pretty good polish, you know, in between kind of skill. He just um, figures out how to make it happen. Yeah, not necessarily. I mean, he's not like physically overwhelming, um, plays mostly as a, as a small ball four, um, but just figures out how to get buckets around the hoop and, and is just pretty skilled and can stretch out a little bit. But, you know, he's not like a gunner from three. And I don't really see Leaf as much as he did show some ability to step out. I don't see him as like a guy who's just, you know, jacking shots off the dribble or, or doing anything like that. Like he seems to be very much like a catch, you know, fundamentally sound, gather himself, get the shot up type, type guy. So, um, so he, yeah, he's interesting. I don't know. I don't, it's kind of, I definitely don't see him having any sort of likelihood of starting for the bucks given just sort of the bucks roster makeup. Um, you know, it, it kind of in the, over the next few years, given, you know, even if Jabari Parker w- were not around, um, you know, it just seems like it's very difficult to find another person who makes more sense at the three, four, five spots than, than Chris Middleton, Giannis and, and Thon at this point, given sort of just what we've seen from them defensively and how they complement each other offensively. But, um, you know, again, at 17, you're not necessarily expecting to find a starter, right? You're trying to find a good player. Uh, and if you can find a guy who, um, can give you good minutes at the backup four, maybe a little bit of backup five or backup three, something in there um, that obviously is is still a valuable thing. And and I don't know, we'll see if if TJ Leaf is a guy that um, impressed the Bucks or if he's just another another name coming through town and and ultimately landing elsewhere. Okay, let's do one more that was supposed to come in today 
And again, looking at the list of guys that was in today, I don't really feel like talking about any of them. Um, as bad as that may sound, uh, the one that I think most people in the area might have circled was Bronson Koenig, uh, who turned his ankle during the workout, um, which, I, man, that really has to stink, especially since it was his first team workout, and you hope that that doesn't affect his the the way that you can impress teams during these the, this time even if he isn't going to be drafted and I don't think many people think he is but even just the fact that he won't be able to try to impress someone to think that hey this should be our summer league point guard or uh, this should be a guy that we try to target as a free agent and, and you just feel bad for the kids so hopefully uh, he can get through it and uh, find some success I guess uh, Moritz is it Wagner I, I know right Moritz Wagner. He's is he German? I, I mean, I, his name sounds German. It seems very German. Um, but I guess he's another guy that's kind of interesting as a stretch big, but um, I don't really necessarily uh, care enough to to talk about him at any length. Um, one of the guys that was rumored to come around was Ivan Rabb. Um, Chris Haynes had reported that he was going to be in today, and now it sounds like he's going to be in tomorrow. Um, which will be Fridays or so, I guess, technically today by the time people get to listen to this. But um, that was a guy that uh, was rumored to come in. And he, I will totally admit he was my guy last season. Um, he was a guy that I thought would have been great at 10 for the Milwaukee Bucks. And then, well, he didn't really improve this year, um, which is a bit concerning that – Last year, I I liked him at ten because uh, he he kind of had that he had six ten he had a seven one and a half wingspan and he had uh, just a, a number of things that I liked. I think his hands are fantastic. He seems to catch everything in his uh, just general area, uh, which I like quite a bit. Uh, I know some people have gone as far as going with Chris Bosh comparisons, which are probably crazy because Chris Bosh was really freaking good. Um, but I liked him a lot as a 19-year-old. Now as a 20-year-old who didn't improve a whole lot um, on that Cal team that had lost a guy like Jalen Brown. I don't know if I'm as in on him, but that is he is a guy that's getting mocked currently uh, at DX at 20 to the tr- Portland Trailblazers. So Realistically, he could be a guy that the Bucks could go after um, and could be interested in. Yeah, and and you know, I kind of tipped my hand on Ivan Rab the other night when I questioned whether the Ivan Rab type player even had a place in the modern NBA. Um, well, for sure, I'll, I'll say that the, the the you know sort of guys who are not centers who are not um, you know who who are a little bit smaller than ideal for the center position, and you know, I look at Rab. You know, he's not really a rim protector, one block per game. Um, you know, pretty good rebounder. I think more so maybe on the offensive end than defensive end. Um, but over 10 boards a game, that's encouraging. Um, but, you know, it doesn't really stretch the floor. It doesn't really have perimeter skills. You know, not really a, a guy with, with, you know, advanced ball skills. Um, his his post uh, numbers via synergy were, were pretty bad last year, even though it was a main way of, of using him. Um, and and honestly, let's be you know let's be realistic. Even if he was a really good post scorer, like th- that's not really a useful skill in the NBA as now as it was you know ten fifteen years ago. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I just kind of struggle with him. You know, I I, I just kind of wonder where you know are, are you going to trot out? You know, uh, I mean, I, I I just think you have to be so good. Um, at certain, you know, like like who are the best? Like kind of when you think about like pure power forwards these days, you know, like you can say a guy like Blake Griffin, like <laughs> yeah, you know, like, I was just gonna I, say who even is one like that that position right. just doesn't exist, right? I mean, you know, Blake Griffin's a power forward. Kevin Love's a power forward. Um, you know, at times, Marcus Aldridge is a power forward, although probably more useful as a center. Um, it, it's just kind of tough. Um, you know, when you look at at traditional kind of power forwards you know guys who are 610 and kind of rebound and score in the paint but don't necessarily shoot a lot of threes that's just an increasingly difficult way to kind of make a living or, or at least to make a big impact in the nba so um you know i don't know i, I haven't seen honestly I, I haven't seen enough of rap to really have an informed opinion on him specifically but 
Um, I am certainly biased against uh, against power forwards, sort of as as we often define them, because it just feels like if you can if you can be an NBA center, if you can do that, and if you can do center things, rebounding, rim rolling, and rim protection, then I'm a lot more interested. But um, I just feel like if you're going to go, you know, if you if you were thinking about Ivan Rab, I would probably skew preferably towards a guy who's a real center, you know. Um, and and I'm, we'll, I'm sure we'll talk more about some of those guys, but there are uh, definitely a number of guys who who project as kind of more typical rim protecting, rim rolling, rebounding big guys um, that might be around in the Bucks range, like the Ike Anabogu, um, you know, Justin Pat, and some of these different guys who who are a bit bigger and a bit more projectable as NBA centers. So um, you know, interesting to see where Rab ends up. You know, he's a good example of if you can be a first round pick, if you can be a top fifteen pick. Um, which I think he certainly projected as a as a lottery pick last year. Just go, man! Like, yeah, just go. Like, absolutely. It, 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 the 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 number of guys who, you know, first off, financially, the odds of going back to college when you're a lottery projected lottery pick and improving so much that you actually increase your you know expected earnings um, when you miss that first year. You know, you've pushed back by a year. Your you, you know your first rookie contract. That's tough, and and if you slip in the draft, you're not going to get as many opportunities. And even if you're a bit more mature, and you know, like all these guys, Rab said, you know, he needed to go back. He needed to get more mature. He faced more double teams this year. You know, he says all the right stuff, but um, you know, he's going to have more of an uphill battle this year than he would have last year. So um, it's uh, it's it's an interesting an interesting thing, and I think certainly it'll be interesting to see with some of the other guys who. Um, who went back like I'm thinking like Miles Bridges might be the best example a guy who I think probably would have ended up in the lottery maybe not high lottery but late lottery um will be interesting to see if a guy like that you know if he doesn't improve a lot at Michigan State does he potentially also fall fall down and and I think Rab in particular deferring from a weak draft last year or a perceived weak draft and def- delaying basically to a strong draft um is kind of a double whammy when don't really improve significantly yeah and with those guys if you're still young there's still things that everyone's imagination loves to project where you can say oh you know he didn't shoot a ton of threes this year but he did look pretty comfortable from mid-range so maybe next season he can shoot some threes and in my mind that was that was kind of what i was thinking like all right 19 year old kid he's got great hands he's mobile he's athletic he can do a lot of these different things, and I've seen him have some success from the mid-range. Okay, maybe next season he can come in and shoot some threes and knock some of those down, and that didn't really happen. And, okay, maybe he can be the the guy on this team now that, that Jalen Brown has left, and, well, that didn't really happen. I mean, he was, but he wasn't, and there was just so many things where before your imagination could have filled in the gaps that you wanted there but now a number of those gaps have been filled and well they haven't been filled with things that are particularly interesting uh to NBA scouts so yeah and i would i would just add to that I mean, gary parish um was on the ringer podcast on on thursday but from cbs sports and uh he, he had a, a good conversation um uh, and, and it, it was interesting. I mean, he was talking about, you know, the, they were talking about the draft with, with Chris Vernon, um, who I, I enjoy. I enjoy the ringer, the ringer NBA show and, uh, Kevin O'Connor's on it a lot. And, and I like those guys. I think it's a good show, but, um, but it was interesting. They were talking about, you know, guys who sort of disappoint as freshmen and they were talking about Harry Giles in particular. And Giles is a unique case. Well, I'm sure we'll talk more about him, um, going forward. He's one of those Excel guys that, um, you know, again, we might see come through Milwaukee. I'm sure you, we'll see him. Yeah, I mean, he's a fascinating guy because uh, was at one point the the highest rated recruit in his class. Um, tore both of his ACLs in high school. Um, had other surgeries on his knee, including one heading into his freshman year at Duke. Um, just never really got going at Duke. Didn't play much. You know, very disappointing freshman season. Decides to come out. And, you know, Gary Parrish was saying, like, you almost have to come out if you're in that position because you can still talk yourself into, it's Harry Giles. He was the top, he was a top prospect. He was, you know, uh, considered this this great up-and-coming guy in high school. He's got all these tools. It's just, you know, the injuries and, you know, situation, blah, blah, blah. You can kind of talk yourself into why um, why he deserves, you know, why he should still be held in high esteem versus if he goes back to Duke 
if he doesn't, I mean, if he, you know, forget Ivan Rab. I mean, Ivan Rab was a was a productive college player both years in high school, in, in college. Um, if he goes back and is, you know, averaging eight points and three rebounds next year, playing, you know, twenty minutes a game. Yeah. Um, even though it's at Duke, I mean, his, you know, he. he his stock is is tanked, right? So, um, so it's interesting. And, and Scalabissier is another guy like that that they mentioned. You know, these guys who are you know top, top, top prospects, considered potential number one overall picks coming into college, and then when they disappoint, you know, it's almost like they have to go pro um, or risk completely falling out of uh, of sort of the the draft pecking order entirely. And I mean, with Labissier, he was still projected as a lottery pick for quite some time, and then on draft night ends up tumbling in the late twenties, but he had a you know showed a lot i think as a rookie when uh after the cousins trade and all that so an interesting thing you know with these you know when do guys come out when should they stay um you know and and certainly um it's tough and and you don't want to lose sight of the fact that i mean college is fun right i mean i'm sure a lot of guys they stay because you know it's not just a financial decision and if you know they don't have you know the the desperate need for for the financial freedoms that come with the nba some of them probably do want to stay stick around and be a kid for another year but um but certainly from from a financial standpoint from a risk standpoint getting drafted um you know i the, probably the best example i think back is to and i can't even remember what year it was this was a few years ago uh the year when jared Sollinger and perry jones were freshmen and they would have been top five picks and they both elected to stay and then perry jones did he even go in the first round? I know the, the Thunder picked him, but he was either late first or early second the following mm-hmm. year. Jared Sollinger has the back stuff he gets red flag for. He tumbles in the first round. Yep. Um, you know, just just interesting, right? I mean, you, you, got, you guys stay in school and think, oh, okay, you're doing the right thing, working on your game, blah, blah, blah. The NBA doesn't care. <laughs> the NBA does not care if you're, uh, if you're trying to be a kid or you're trying to get your education. If you don't improve... Um, you, you will you will you will feel it in your pocketbook eventually. All right, uh, I think that's going to be it for us for today. Um, we'll leave you with that for the weekend, and we'll be back next week again to talk about more prospects. I'm sure there'll be some more uh, draft workouts next week. We can talk about that. Um, maybe something interesting will happen in one of the conference finals games. I kind of doubt that, but you never know. Um, so we'll be back next week to talk to you guys about that some more. For Frank Madden, this has been Eric Name. This has been Lockdown Bucks. We'll talk to you next week. Napa know It takes a lot to get excited about a bag, but most bags can't save you 20% on auto parts. That's 20% off headlamps, 20% off oil filters, 20% off virtually anything you can fit inside the 99-cent Napa reusable bag. So tell your buddies, there's a bag they just have to check out. Quality parts, helpful people. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. At participating Napa Auto Parts stores while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10 17